Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Well, this evening, uh, we have a guest speaker, uh, Rabbi Eric Lakatos, who's the leader of Tikvat Yisrael, Messianic Jewish Synagogue in Cleveland, Ohio. Currently working on his PhD in theology, Rabbi Eric is also founder of the Light to the Nations Ministry. He interacts with Rabbi Kevin often in his role on the board of the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. We are honored to have him here to share with us today. So let's all welcome Rabbi Eric. Thank you very much. Woo. All right, I got to get right to business. First thing, I'd like anyone here who has served in our armed forces, any military, please stand and be honored tonight. Please take a stand. Anyone who has served. Thank you. Look at this. All right. You deserve to be honored. Thank you. Thank you for your service. We thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and that was on behalf of Rabbi Kevin and me and our congregation brings you greetings from the frozen chosen up north, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, where it's in the 40s, uh, going down into the 30s tonight, most likely. So we're having a heat wave up there, actually. So... Uh, some kind of time we've been living in, hasn't it been? The last couple of weeks, uh, last, what, five weeks now. I think it's five weeks since October 7th. And um, the title of my message that I want to share with you, it's probably above my head here in the slide called Better Fatherland. Better Fatherland. And it's um, going to be based off the Haftarah reading uh, that we have today. This uh, message, I believe, is timely because um, what we are living through in this time, we're seeing a lot of uncertainty. You know, in, in, in about a year from now, we're going to go through yet another election, okay? And we're going to, so much change is happening, right? And, and so the, when, when I share this word with you, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind that the narrative that we're going to look at in the Haftarah, there was a lot of uncertainty about the future. King David is dying. And there's a lot of shenanigans going on with his son. And this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And if you think about it, the future of the world, the destiny of humankind, was hanging in the balance at this moment. 
And so that's the picture I want to paint for you as we look at this, this passage from 1 Kings. Because I think it's very timely for us today. And of course, it ties in with the Parsha Hashuva as well. So um, I have the scriptures on the board. You don't have to turn there. Let's look at this passage. I'm going to expand it a little bit because we only read a little bit of it here in the Torah uh, service. But I want you to look at this with me. I have the scripture on the board, 1 Kings 1. <clears throat> this is from the complete Jewish Bible. King David grew old. The years took their toll. And he couldn't get warm even when they covered him with bedclothes. His servants said to him, let us try to find a young virgin for my lord, the king. She can wait on the king and be a companion for him. And she can lie next to you so that my lord, the king, will get some heat. And looking, out, looking through all of Israel's territory for a beautiful girl, they found Avishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the girl was very beautiful and became a companion for the king. She took care of him, but the king did not have relations with her. Adonaiah, the son of Hagit, was beginning to claim that he would be the king. And to this end, he organized chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father, now this is a little side note here uh, from the narration, which many scholars believe Jeremiah wrote the book of Kings. Of course, not all scholars agree with that. But we have a, 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 an inserted narrative here is a little bit of a uh, commentary on David's parenting skills. His father had never in his life confronted him by asking, why are you behaving this way? In other words, this kid has never been disciplined. This is an undisciplined child of the king, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, little brat, if you will, all right? So, but now he's much older, right? He's, a, he's an adult and he's out of control now because he's never been disciplined. So, by the way, he's a very handsome man. So that just makes it even worse. He was born next uh, after Avshalom. And he conferred with Yoav, the son of Tsuria, and Abiatar, the Kohen. And both supported Adonaiah. So how many of you know what it feels like to get a stab in the back? You know, people you thought you were friends, and then they, they turn on you. And they, 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 uh, they begin to form a coalition with your enemies, even if it's someone from your own family. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. Not good. But, verse 8, Sadok, the Kohen, Benaiah, the son of Yehudah, and Natan, the prophet, Shimi, Re'i, and David's elite guard were not on Adonaiah's side. Woo, that's good. One day, Adonaiah killed sheep, oxen, fattened calves in the stone of, at the stone of Suchelet uh, by Enrogel. He summoned all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Yehuda, the king's servants, but he did not summon. In other words, he did not invite Natan, the prophet, Benaiah, the elite guard, or his little brother Shlomo. That's Solomon, by the way. Didn't invite him. Verse 11. Natan went to Bathsheba, that's Bathsheba, the mother of Shlomo, and said, haven't you heard that Adonaiah, the son of Agit, has become king without the knowledge of David, our Lord? Now come, please, let me give you some advice so that you can save both your own life and that of your son Shlomo. Go, get in to see David and say to him, my Lord King, 
Didn't you swear to your servant, your son Shlomo will be king after me? He will sit on my throne. So why is Adonai king? Right then, while you are still talking with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm what you are saying. Because, you know, you always have to have two witnesses, right? So there you go. That's the, that's the plan. Bathsheba went into the king in his room. The king was very old. Avishag, the Shunammite, was in attendance on the king. So she's there. And Bathsheba bowed, prostrate, prostrated herself to the king. The king asked, what do you want? And she answered him, my lord, you swore by Adonai, your God, that your servant, your son Shlomo, will be king after me and he will sit on my throne. But now here is Adonai, ruling as king, and you, my lord, the king, don't know anything about it. He has killed oxen, fatted calves, and sheep in great numbers, and he has summoned all the sons of the king, Aviatar the Kohen, and Yoav the commander of the army, but he didn't summon Shlomo, your servant. As for you, my lord, the king, all Israel is watching you. They are waiting for you to tell them who is to sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. If you don't, then when my lord the king sleeps with his ancestors, I and my son Shlomo will be considered criminals. And right then, at that moment, while she is still talking with the king, Natan the prophet. Now, by the way, you remember who Natan was, right? He confronted David when David, you know, first met Bathsheba. We don't have to go back to that narrative, but just a reminder, all right? This guy has some authority with David, okay? Remember that. Verse 23, they told the king, Natan the prophet is here. Okay, hello, Nathan has arrived. Adonai, did you say, my lord, the king Adonai is to be king after me? He will sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and killed oxen, fat and calves and sheep in great numbers. And he has summoned all the king's sons, the commanders of the army and Eviatar, the Kohen. And right now they are eating and drinking in the presence and proclaiming, long live King Adonai. Boy, he's making it real dramatic here, right? But he didn't summon me, your servant, or Sadak the Kohen, or Benaiah, the son of Yehudah, or your servant Shlomo. Is this authorized by my lord, the king, without your having told your servant who would sit on the throne of my Lord, the king after him? King David answered by saying, summon Bathsheba to me. She entered the king's presence and stood before the king. Then the king swore the oath, as Adonai lives who has delivered me from all adversity, as I swore to you by Adonai, the God of Israel. Your son Shlomo will be king after me. He will sit on my throne in my place. So will I do today. Bathsheba bowed her face to the ground, prostrating herself to the king. And she said, let my Lord King David live forever. King David has lived forever. That has been fulfilled. Now, this week's Haftorah reading coincides with the parasha because you have Eliezer, servant of Abraham, looking for the next matriarch of Israel. And here in the Haftarah, you have the next king of Israel. So this is all about succession, the next generation. Very important. And what we see happening, and I said to you earlier, there was much 
fear at this time. There was uncertainty. People saw things that were happening that didn't make sense. People assumed things that were going to happen that were not supposed to happen. There was great peril in this narrative, in this story. And there was competition for power. And the outcome of the situation would determine the course of all Israel, the entire nation. And I take that even further. All of human history would be affected by how this would work out. Because if Shlomo doesn't become king, there's no Yeshua. How, could the stakes be any higher than that? All right, so you see where we're going with this? This is how important this, this situation really was. Should the kingdom fall into the hands of a handsome, selfish, and worldly Adonaiah, there wouldn't have been a temple, there'd be no book of Proverbs, no song of songs, no book of Ecclesiastes, and the spiritual direction of the nation would have deteriorated even faster than it did after Solomon. A lot of things would have turned out a lot different. There is no doubt that Bathsheba, Natan, the prophet, and some of the others were greatly concerned about this situation. Much the same way we are concerned when we look at what's going on in the world, especially in Israel. You know... <laughs> And our friend Jonathan, and, and just things that happen that seem so out of control. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Now, we just had a big election up in Ohio. And you might have heard, because it was on the national news, Ohio made national news again, that we had a pretty big issue on the ballot. Ohio was voting on issue one, which was to codify abortion into our state legislature, our state constitution. So the, the issue one was about making abortion, which could be performed all the way up, late turn abortion, all the way up to nine months old. And it passed. It passed. Ohio went that way. It passed. And so imagine the disappointment. I mean, we've been disappointed up in Ohio. We're pretty disappointed. Things don't seem to be working out the way we wanted, the way we think it should work out. We're concerned for the future. There's uncertainty. And by the way, many people didn't know this, but then there was issue two which was the legalization of marijuana, which Ohio passed that too. And so here we were, what's it gonna, what is, where is Ohio going? Where are we gonna end up? Are we gonna be like Michigan? Oh, I might have to move to Georgia. Not so bad, not so bad. Anyway, the war in Israel, I mean, the world right now seems so, out of control. We don't know where it's going. We don't know how it's going to end up. But I want to encourage you with something. The lesson of this Haftarah reading and what I'm speaking about today is that we cannot live by what we see. We cannot allow the news to dictate whether or not 
we are standing in faith and we're heading forward or if we're falling apart in fear. We cannot allow the peril and the drama to, to lose control. That's not the kind of people we are, all right? We are a people of faith. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Rav Shaul says, for we live by trust or by faith, by emunah. The Hebrew word is emunah, faith, which it's like bitachon, it's trust. You know, when you trust somebody, that's golden. When you lose trust, it's more valuable than money, isn't it? You lose your reputation. You know, when you lose your job, that's one thing, but you, you still have your, your CV, your, your, uh, your resume, and you have relationships. And hopefully that will get you to the next step. That's why trust, emunah, bitachon, is so important for us as believers. Bathsheba and Natan, the prophet, and others, they saw the enemies of David conspiring. And the enemy was rejoicing. We see all kinds of things in the world right now. I'm telling you, you know, I don't understand. We had in downtown Cleveland, we had pro-Palestinian marches. And I'm like, can you really be standing up for Hamas right now? I, I just, it just, it, it can't enter my mind. But that's what we see going on. And so very much like I can identify with Nathan, okay? I can identify with Bathsheba. Lord, did you say this? Are you, per, are you actually permitting this? We see things in our world that are extremely distressing, but we cannot live by what we see. And we have to be careful, by the way, with our media too. You know, even if it's good media, like I watch I-24 News in Israel, the English-speaking Israeli. I love the, the Israeli news. I think it's better than what I can get anywhere else. But ladies and gentlemen, you know, you get too much junkie of media and it, it just, it, you, that's not what we live. We can't live by our sight. We live by faith. All right, we do need to know what's going on. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and not know what's going on around you. But at the same time, don't get addicted to media and news outlets because really the Bible, the word of God is what we stand on, amen? We are people of faith. And that's what this message is about. So would you just pray real quick before I finish up here this message? Father, in the name of Yeshua, I just pray that everyone listening, watching, whether it be online or here, uh, in person, or maybe a recording in the future. Lord, give us a teachable spirit right now so that we can digest the fresh manna that you have for us. Nourish us by our souls right now. Because your word says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, the var Elohim, that comes from the mouth of God. B'Shem Yeshua, Vimru, Amen. All right. Number one, point number one, we are looking forward to a city. We are looking forward to a city. This Haftarah portion has similar themes to the Torah portion. Sarah's life has concluded. Abraham is looking for a successor to be the mother of Israel. At her death, there seemed to be despair. Isaac was never allowed to leave Eretz Israel. How in the world could he find a wife? A lot was at stake. The stakes were high, just like with David. 
And as with both the Torah portion and this Haftorah, we learn how believers trust Hashem. Eliezer prayed. What an awesome narrative that was and how true it was. He's the example of how we live. We pray and we walk in that faith, believing, trusting, bitachon. We need not to get fixated on our current circumstances. Yes, you know, Eliezer had no idea how he was going to find this woman, but he did. He trusted in God. And, you know, he understood Abraham had a promise. And that's something. Abraham had a promise. Eliezer knew the promise. And when he prayed to God, he reminded God of the promise. And so I want to ask you to think about what promises has God made you in your life? Think about it. Every one of us should have a promise. If you have a relationship with God, then you have some kind of agreement with God. You have, God has given you some kind of promise, something, a calling, something to look forward to. We have a city that we're looking forward to, but we also have individual promises. God has a calling on every one of our lives. And I want to ask you, do you have a vision for that calling in your life? What is it God has called you and promised you that perhaps you haven't stepped out yet like Eleazar did? Maybe some of you are called to start a business, start a worship band. I don't know. Maybe God is, has a ministry that you should be doing. But whatever reason, I'm not sure. It's too, too much question. I, I, I won't do anything until I know for sure. Well, you'll probably never do it then. It doesn't work that way. You know, when, my, when the Lord called my wife and I to Cleveland, we were living in Cincinnati, and the congregation barely had 20 people, and they didn't have a salary. They couldn't pay us, and my wife had to quit her job, and, 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 and I'm going to move to this city that can't pay me. They want me to be their rabbi. Let me, let me think about this. Most people say, ah, nope, no thank you. No, that was the Lord. I didn't know how I was going to get paid. She had to quit her job. I didn't know how she was. We, were, we had a house to sell, and guess what? It was 2007. You remember what happened in 2007? Hello. It's never going to be a walk in the park. Two mortgages, two houses. I can't sell the one in Cincinnati. Oh, you vault. What am I going to do? We're always in peril. That's the way it is when you're a Jew. You know, get used to it. And if you're not Jewish and if you're going to hang out with us, well, join the club. This is the way it is. You know? You're always in peril. Someone's always trying to kill you. Someone hates you. Someone wants to take everything you have. And that's it. That's life. But yeah, you know, and I, I'm scared to wear this in public. I didn't wear it in the airport. I can tell you that. I saw one other Jew there and I almost went up to him. I said, sure you, sure you want to be wearing that right here? You know, I'm not kidding. It's bad out there. And, you know, Ohio, what can I say? You know, Lord, we have got to be walking in faith. Amen. So here's what I want to show you. Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to Messianic Jews in the first century. We don't know. He's the ghost writer. We don't know who he is. <clears throat> Trusting, he says, bitachon, is being confident of what we hope for, convinced about things we do not see. So if we walk around by looking at, if, if we respond to everything we see around us, we're going to fall apart. We can't walk by what we see. So what we don't see, the hope, the vision of our future, the promise of a city that God has promised us, we keep our eyes fixed on that, not whether or not someone has a salary for me, not whether or not I can sell my other house. No, keep your eyes fixed on the prize, the promise. That's what we all have to keep our eyes fixed on. And so we got to be confident of what we don't see. I don't know how in the world I'm, I was going to get paid, how in the world I'd move my family, buy a new house, sell the old house, try to make, you know, try to make it happen. I didn't know. And you're never going to know how it's going to work out. You can't wait around for the promise to come on on its own. You have to step out in faith yourself. That's the Messianic Jewish way. That's the Messianic lifestyle. But Verse two says, it was for this script that scripture attested the merit of people of old. So what he's saying here is, now I'm gonna show you some famous Messianic Jews that, that deserve recognition and they are the example for us today, all right? Their merits. And so he jumps to verse six. Look at verse six here. Without trusting, if you don't have trust, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. You can't please God if you're not trusting in him, amen? Because whoever approaches him must trust that he exists. If you don't trust him, that means you really don't believe he's there, all right? And then, uh, and that he becomes a rewarder of those who seek him out. So at least trust that if you step in faith and trust him and his promise that there's a reward coming, okay? You can't see it. But that's, that's faith, that's trust. If you could see it, it's not really faith, is it? Now, verse eight, by trusting Avraham, the first Messianic Jew, Avraham saw my day and he was glad, amen? That means he knew, he saw forward the Messiah. He was a Messianic Jew. And he says, after being called out to a place which God would give him as a possession, indeed, he went out without knowing where he's going. Just lech lecha, get up and go. Not knowing where you're going to go. I don't know where I'm going. Just going. Just going. All right. That's, that is trust. Verse 9, by trusting, he lived as a temporary resident in the land of promise. If it were not his, staying in tents with Yitzhak and Yaakov, who were to receive what was promised along with him. See, the promise is, it, it transfers generation to generation. It's our promise too. We're looking forward to that city as well. And here it is, verse 10. He was looking forward to a city. See that? The city with permanent foundations of which the architect and builder is God. By trusting, he received potency to father a child 
even when he was past the age for it, and Sarah herself, because he regarded the one who has made the promise as trustworthy. That's the key for us. We have to think of God as worthy of our trust. Forget the circumstances. Forget it. It's not worth even looking at it. You got to know what's going on. Okay, you do. But then consider, is God worth trusting? Yeah, he is. Has he ever failed any of his faithful ones? You know, isn't there a verse that says, I think uh, I've never seen uh, the righteous lacking, looking for bread, right? Begging, right. So do we really have to be afraid? We have to consider God worthy of our trust. I love that. Verse 12, therefore, this one man who was virtually dead, fathered descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, as countless as the grains on the sand of the seashore. And all these people kept trusting until they died without receiving what was promised. They had only seen it and welcomed it from a distance while acknowledging that they were aliens and temporary residents on earth. We're only here for a short time, guys. We're temp- this is temporary. It really is. But then here's the kicker, verse 14. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are looking for a fatherland. A fatherland. Interesting choice of words. And verse 15. Now, if they were to keep recalling the one they left, like, like our fathers when they left Egypt, some of them said, let's go back to Egypt. Can you believe that? Let's go back to being enslaved. Really? And some believers do that. They want to go back to their old way of living in sin. That's like going, you know, a hostage being released and saying, huh, I guess I'll go back with Hamas. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? But if they keep looking backwards at where they came from, then they'll go back. But here it says they would have an opportunity to return. So you don't, you don't want to go back where you came from. Verse 16, but, that, but as it is, they aspire to a better fatherland, a heavenly one. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Friends, as Abraham was looking forward to a permanent dwelling, not dwelling in tents, but a permanent dwelling, we are in the same positions. Not only do we have the promise and the inheritance of Eretz Israel, the land, which is great, it's here on earth, but we also have better promises of a better fatherland, a heavenly one. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to first century Messianic Jews and he's reminding them, you know, Rome is on top of them. The temple was about to be destroyed. At the time of the writing of Hebrews, it was still standing. But Rome was everywhere. And there was about that time, the first Jewish revolt started against Rome. And there were the Sicarii. You know what a Sicarii was? The daggers, zealots. Did you know that there were Messianic Jewish zealots too? Is what they were. It's part of the things that I'm studying in in my PhD, in my research. They were called Sakari daggers. 
And many of them were believers, actually, in Yeshua. Sadly, because we don't promote violence and murder to take the kingdom of God. But that is what, that is what existed in the first century. And so there was a lot of it's the same kind of thing going on today. There was war. There was uncertainty. There was terrorism. There was Rome. There, you know, the Jews, we were about to be kicked out. We were about to lose the temple. And you have to remember uh, that this is the same condition they were in. And it was written to Messianic Jewish believers. Dr. David Stern says this about this passage we just looked at. The author is thinking Jewishly, he says remaining conscious of several levels of meaning. He does not deny the simple Peshat tense or the promises concerning the land of Israel, where Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov lived as aliens and temporary residents. But at the same time, he implies that Avraham understood a deeper level, meaning of God's promise, a meaning relating not only to the land of Israel, but also to the earth in heaven. See, I'm going to talk about uh, an eschatological horizon. What is your eschatological horizon? When the Messiah comes, where's he coming to? Arizona? Did someone say Arizona? No, sorry. And he's not coming to Cleveland either. He's not happy with Ohio right now. <laughs> he's coming to Jerusalem, right? And we're going to live there for a thousand years, right? And, and, and this is pretty much, I'm, I'm talking Messianic Jewish theology here, Messianic Jewish eschatology. Now, some people believe the rapture will be, you know, sooner rather than later. Some say before the tribulation, some say after, some say mid-trib, okay? But the point of it all is, we know it's going to happen. And we know Messiah is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Can we at least agree on that? Because that's what the text says, all right? We can at least agree on what the text says. But we also know that it's not just limited to a physical real estate, that there is what, what scholars call, you know, the long term, the after, uh, after the, uh, the, mess the messianic reign on the earth. There is uh, what comes after the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, eternity, okay? And being with God for eternity is part of that promise. It's a package deal. It's not like what some people think, some scholars think it's just all up high in the sky heaven and, and there's nothing on earth at all because we see Israel being restored and even in the peril that it's in now, we are gonna see Israel delivered, amen? Oh man, I know it, I know it. Woo. During our worship, I was just thinking how great it's gonna be when this war is over and Israel is victorious and its enemies are put under its feet and we are going to live to see that. Hallelujah. We are going to see miracles. And when the Messiah comes, oh, imagine. Whew, when he's coming and reigning from Israel. I mean, come on, if you're Jewish, that means three times a year you got to be in Jerusalem. You might as well move to Israel at that point. And I think the Ministry of Interior is going to have a different outlook on Messianic Jews at that point. Amen? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But what I'm trying to say here is, it's, in Messianic Judaism, it's not just in heaven. And it's not just on earth. It's both. 
as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. Amen. And so, you know, the promise of a better fatherland does not nullify the promise of our land of Eretz Israel being restored. Ezekiel eleven sixteen says, Adonai Elohim says this, true, I removed them as far as away from the nations and I scattered them among the countries. Nevertheless, I've been a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, say that say Adonai Elohim says this, I will gather you from the peoples, collect you from the countries where you have been scattered and I will give the land of Israel to you. We can stand on these promises today for Israel. We don't have to wonder how this is all gonna work out. We know how this is gonna work out. We are gonna be victorious, amen? Our people are gonna rise above the circumstances. We're gonna call on our God and he is gonna give us the victory, amen? We just sang about it here a few uh, moments ago. This is the promise of a better fatherland. We cannot look back. We can't afford to look back on our sin or, or go back into exile. We must stay focused as Abraham did. Point number two, number two, plowing forward, not backward. Kadima, amen? Kadima, forward. The writer of Hebrews says that the saints of old did not look backward from the land, but they kept looking forward to where they were going. Now, does this, what does this mean for us today, living in these days? How are we supposed to live? Look at Luke 9. Verse 57 on this uh, screen. As they were traveling on the road, a man said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Yeshua answered him, the foxes have holes, the birds flying have nests, but the son of a man has no home of his own. I had two homes at one time. What was I going to do? Verse 59, to another, he said, follow me. But the man replied, sir, first let me go away and bury my father. And Yeshua said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, sir, but first let me say goodbye to the people at home. And Yeshua said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back is fit to serve in the kingdom of God. Folks, this is important. If you don't remember anything else I say, please remember this. There's a reason we can't look back. We can't afford to look back. It, it's like being Lot's wife, looking back. Our salvation is at risk if we start looking back, okay? This is what Yeshua is saying. I'm not saying it, he's saying it. If you keep looking back, you put your hand to the plow, you look back, you're not fit to serve in the kingdom of God. That's his words, not mine. Interpret it the way you want to. But you know what? I wouldn't risk it. I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't test it. Nothing must get in the way. Worrying about your income, worrying about, you know, trying to have all the answers laid out before you make a decision. You're never going to do it. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy our lives and our families and consider others and that sort of thing. But what it does mean that if we put other obligations of family and personal lives over our faith and our emunah and our bitachon with Yeshua, then we're not fit to serve him in the kingdom of God. We were not put on this earth to simply take up space. We were not put here, created by God, 
Our mothers did not labor for hours to bring us into this world so that we could just take up oxygen, right? We have a promise and we all individually have a calling. You were not here to plow and care for the land and to look back. You were put here to serve Messiah, to spread his glory. And this means whatever agenda you have in your life, make sure it's not just to comfort your flesh or spend your life acquiring material wealth, that your agenda must be Messiah's agenda. Your goals need to be his goals for your life. So many people spend their lives doing what they think they like or what they think they enjoy doing, but it does not entail serving the Messiah the way God is calling them because they're too afraid to take the risk. They're too afraid to step out in faith. They want assurance. And none of the fathers were given that assurance. Nobody, not one of them. Who do we think we are? Are we better than Abraham? That, that we think we need some kind of assurance? You know, that's a very American Western way of thinking, you know, when you think about it. We have to have insurance, you know. We have to have everything covered before we'll step out and do anything. No risk. It's not about where you lay your head. It's not about your house or the house you want to buy or how observant you are in your tradition. And believe me, I love tradition. Some believe the verse about burying their dead is a reference to the ancient Jewish practice of reburial, which where today we have the unveiling practice. But are we gonna serve the Messiah with our life or not? In Avot Pirkei Avos, Rabbi Gamaliel said in Avos 2.4, Do his will as if it was your will, that he may do your will as if it was his will. Make your will of no effect before his will, that he may make the will of others of no effect before your will. You want to hear that again? Yeah, some people are saying, yeah. Say that again, Rabbi. Yeah, I don't think he heard that. All right, Rabbi Gamaliel said in Pirkeavos 2.4, And remember, this was Paul's rabbi, okay? Paul the apostle, right? He said, do his will, do God's will as if it was your will, that he may do your will as if it was his will. Make your will of no effect before his will, that he may make the will of others of no effect before your will. Isn't that good? Compare that to what Yeshua said in Luke 22, 42. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away. Still, let not my will, but yours be done. That's the key. That's the key right there. Yield your life, your will to his will. In order not to look back and put your plow forwards, then we must be willing to lay down our own will, surrender our own agendas, and be ready to receive the Lord's agenda, finally. And then you will find success in your life and happiness. It won't be easy, but it'll be glorious. 
last couple of scriptures, 2 Peter 3.12. As you wait for the day of God and work to hasten its coming, that's a very Jewish thing, hasten the coming of Messiah. Let's do tikkun olam, right? <laughs> that day will bring on the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt from the heat. But we, following along with his promise, will wait for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will be at home. Therefore, dear friends, as you look for these things, do everything you can to be found by him without spot, defect, and at peace. Who cares what the media says? Who cares of all the fear that's out there, the fear-mongering? Be at peace. Trust in him, emuna. Live by faith and not by sight. Because if you do not surrender your will, you will not have peace in this world. Don't look back. John 16, Yeshua said, I have said these things to you so that united with me, you may have shalom in this world. You will have surus, but be brave. Kazakh, I have conquered the world. Hallelujah for that. He has conquered. We don't have to be afraid of any Hamas or anybody or any enemy. He has already conquered. Hallelujah. Last scripture. Romans 10, for with the heart one keeps on trusting and thus continues towards righteousness, while with the mouth one keeps on making public acknowledgement and thus continues towards deliverance. For the passage quoted says that everyone who rests his trust on him will not be humiliated. There's your promise. You want assurance? There it is, right there. Put your trust in Adonai, Yeshua, and you will not regret it. You will never be humiliated. Amen? Notice it said public acknowledgement. Have you ever made a public acknowledgement of your faith? Is there anyone here that would like to just make a public acknowledgement of their faith? And just maybe for the first time in your life, in front of other people, say, yes, I believe in Yeshua. Anybody? Just stand up. Just stand up. If, if you want to do it for the first time, there you go. Public acknowledgement. Hallelujah. First time? Great. If not, okay, great. Do it again. All right, you can do it again. Amen. I stand with this. Yeshua. Amen. And you know, you can do that with people in public. You can do it, neighbors, friends. You're not going to be humiliated. So what if they laugh at you? So what if they think you're not all right up there? Most of us are a little mashuga anyways, you know? So that's how you do it. But do it. That's the bottom line. Amen? All right. Shabbat shalom to you all. Baruch Hashem. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. 
Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Shalom.